Please open with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Please bow with me in prayer. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and for allowing us to worship you together through the preaching of your word. Father, we ask that you would use your word mightily in the hearts of each and every person in here today. Father, that not one of us would leave here unchanged by your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we learned about the the great inheritance we have been given as children of God. Paul says in verse 11 that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. And we saw that this inheritance is eternal, incorruptible, undefiled. It it does not fade away, and it is reserved for us in heaven, prepared for us from the foundation of the world. This inheritance includes eternal life in the presence of Christ with resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, glorified minds in a new heaven and earth. And we marveled at this, this great inheritance that we have received. But the question is, how can we be sure that we will receive it? I think of one of the martyrs. I think it was Roland Taylor. And he's being carried to his death. And he asks, when he's just about there, he asks, can he get down and walk the rest of the way so that he can dance? And he danced the rest of the way. And, and he said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm almost home. This week was the, the, the anniversary of, of two martyrs, Ridley and Latimer, giving up their lives for the faith. And as they are about to burn at the stake, one says to the other, play the man. How can these men have such confidence that, that they will, in fact, obtain this inheritance that we are told we have been given. Now, why do I say this? Well, well, the first point here I'm going to call the inheritance dilemma. Our inheritance has been obtained. Paul says in verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. But, but once we get to 14, he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In other words, we have obtained it, but we have not We have not acquired possession of it. What does this mean? 
This is what we call in theology the, the already and not yet. We have, in fact, obtained an inheritance already. Let us consider a few things. In verse 5, Paul tells us, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. And adoption, as I argued, is the very foundation of our inheritance. We have the right to inherit because we have been adopted by God into his royal family. He calls us sons and daughters and allows us to approach him as Abba Father. And this is something that we experience right here and right now. We get the privilege of crying out to God as Abba Father right now. What about redemption? Paul tells us in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption. And we read in 1 Peter, we have been redeemed. Past tense. It's already happened. We are experiencing our redemption right now. We have been set free from the, the slavery of sin. And, and we, we experience this reality every time we resist temptation. We've also been set free from the guilt of sin. And, and we experience this when we can live with a clear conscience before God, understanding that we are no longer guilty. Or what about salvation? Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Even our salvation is spoken of in, in past tense. We, we have been saved. We, we are saved right now. So we see that our adoption and our redemption and our salvation are spoken of as a, as a present reality. Something we experience right now. But then we are told there's a future sense to it. At the same time, our, our inheritance has not yet been fully received. And, and we already know this part to be, to be, we already know this to be true when it comes to things like our eternal life. We're, we're not dead yet. We're not in heaven right now. There are certain things that are reserved for the future. But, but the Bible speaks this way even in terms of our adoption and our redemption and our salvation. Romans 8.23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Ad adoption is a, is a present reality and yet something that is not fully experienced at this moment. What about redemption? Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we are told that we are redeemed. We have been redeemed. But Paul also says there is a day of redemption in the future. And even salvation. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Paul says we have been saved. And then in Romans, we shall be saved. Again, this is what we call the, the already and not yet. We have been saved, redeemed, and adopted, and we are currently experiencing the benefits of these things, but, but at the same time, we will not experience the fullness of these things until Christ returns. So now here's where we have a problem. Much of our inheritance... 
will not be given until we die. And then until Christ returns. So, so even though we, we experience some of our inheritance here and now, much of it is a, is a promise that will be fulfilled at some point in time in the future. So this raises a huge question. Since we have not fully obtained our inheritance, how can we know for sure with confidence that we will? How can we be like Roland Taylor? So confident that we will obtain that I can dance my way to death. How do we know that God will fulfill his promise? How do we know that when we die, we won't find out that we have been fooled? It was all a lie. How do we know that God won't, won't suddenly change his mind and refuse to give us the rest of our inheritance? Maybe that's not your struggle because you understand the integrity of God. But perhaps you believe that God has an inheritance for Christians. But, but, but can I be sure that I will persevere as a Christian until I receive the fullness of my inheritance? After all, we can all relate to the words of that hymn, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I, I love. How, how do I know that I won't just leave him? I, I know this proneness in my own heart to do this, to go after the world. How can I be sure that if persecution arises, I won't cast off my faith and not receive my inheritance? I don't know that my faith is, is strong enough to, to withstand that type of persecution. I don't know that I can lay down my life for Christ. How can I know with, with confidence that, that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches won't choke the life out of me? The devil seems so strong. My flesh is so weak. How do I know I won't turn from Christ? I know there is an inheritance but I'm afraid that my faith is too fragile to, to, to get me to my inheritance. Has anyone ever felt that way? Perhaps we fear what happened to Esau. Remember what happened to Esau? His father Isaac had a, had a blessing for him, and he, and he told him to, to go and do something, and then come back and get your blessing. And what happens during that time? Jacob pretends to be Esau, and he steals his blessing. And Esau comes back and finds out that this happened. And his father tells him, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. In other words, that blessing is not coming back. It's gone. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he, he cries with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he says to his father, Bless me, me also, O oh my father. But he says, your brother came with deceit and, and has taken away your blessing. It's gone. And Esau says, 
Have you only one blessing, my, my father? Bless me, me also, oh my father. And Esau lifts up his voice and he weeps. How many of us have been tempted to think that when we die, we will experience something like what Esau experienced? Heading to receive our, our internal inheritance, and we, and we get to find out, we get there and find out it's not there, and we cry out, Where is the inheritance I was guaranteed? Has anyone ever had such fear? Perhaps there are people here right now saying to themselves, do I, do I really experience all of these things when I die? Is to die really gain? I know I'm supposed to believe this as a Christian. I know the scriptures say this, but, but, but something inside of me wonders if something won't go wrong. God has given us a remedy for such fear. God in his goodness has given us a remedy. He could tell us, obey my promises, believe my promises. He's given us a promise. He could simply say, you just need to believe it, point blank. Nothing else needs to be said. But he doesn't do this. In his goodness, he, he not only promises an inheritance, but he gives us assurance, a guarantee that we will, in fact, receive the fullness of our inheritance. And he gives us this guarantee in such a way that we can be assured without doubt. He gives us a guarantee that can not only be known intellectually, but can that even be felt experientially. So, so what is this great assurance that can be both known and experienced? Well, first it is the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And we saw last week this inheritance is for Christians. And, and, and how do we become Christians? By hearing the word of truth, which points us to Christ and believing in Christ for salvation, putting our faith in Christ. And Paul now tells us that when we believe in Jesus, in other words, when we become a Christian, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Paul say the promised Holy Spirit? Well, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Joel that, that the Spirit would come. And in Christ himself says in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be, abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He, he promises the coming of the Spirit, and this, this promise is fulfilled at Pentecost. Now notice that Paul says, when you heard the word and believed, you were sealed. This is important because some would, would wrongly teach that we're not necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit when we believe, but, but that this is something separate. And, and they, they do this because they don't understand that, that Pentecost was a unique event. It's not a recurring thing. So when we heard the gospel and believed in Christ, 
we were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul refers to this filling of the Holy Spirit as being sealed by the Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit filled you? Then you've been sealed. What is a seal? Beaky and Smalley in the Reformed Systematic Theology point out that the verb translated as sealed literally refers to stamping an object with a mark made by one's seal. Often an engraved cylinder or signet ring that was rolled over or pressed on soft material such as clay, wax, or malleable metal to leave its image as a mark of ownership. Sproul puts it this way. The closest thing to this in the ancient world would be whenever a king wanted to authenticate a decree and marked it with a wax impression from his signet ring. This signet ring, wax impression in the Greek world was called a seal, and it represented and guaranteed that what had been promised would take place. So you can think of a signet ring stamping a decree with the authority of the king. Here, here's the picture being painted. We already know that the moment we become Christians, we, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying that when the Holy Spirit indwells us in salvation, God is sealing us with his signet ring. In other words, God has made promises to give us an inheritance and to prove to us that he will fulfill his promise. He sends the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that he will do what he has said he will do. Think of it this way. A king sends you a letter which promises you great riches. And he signed this letter as the king to give it his authority. That, that signature means that, that you have a guarantee by the authority of the king that what is promised in the letter will be fulfilled. So how can we be sure that we will receive our internal, eternal inheritance from God? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit, dear friend? If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you will receive what God has promised, guaranteed. So, so when you see the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, you, you can view this as evidence that God has stamped you with his royal signet ring, which means by his authority, you will receive what he has promised his children. We leave this earth and we stand before the Lord. And the Lord says, shall I give you an inheritance? And we say, I'm sealed. Remember? You, you stamped your mark of authority on me as a promise that this is what you would do. Ferguson says his presence in our life is itself God's assurance that every spiritual blessing will be ours. So, so what is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul talks about love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do, do you see these fruits in your life? Not in perfection, but are they present and growing? 
If you see the fruit or evidence that the, that the Spirit is in your life, this is evidence that you have been, that you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And, and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is God's way of promising you by His own authority that you will receive your inheritance. And if this, if this wasn't enough for us, if this wasn't enough to give us great assurance, Paul takes it even farther. He says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? What is a guarantee? Or as the, the King James Version says, in earnest. There's really only one word, one, one place rather, where this word is used in current times. And that's in real estate. You put down earnest money, which means what? You, you, you've, you've given an offer, that offer is accepted. Now, we want to make sure that you're serious. Give me some money up front. Don't waste my time. And so we put down in earnest. This is what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. A down payment. Listen, you, you don't give a down payment on something unless you plan on paying the rest in the future. So God has given us the Holy Spirit who, who, is, who is a part of our inheritance as a deposit indicating His intention to give us the rest of our inheritance. You can't get more serious than that. I've signed the documents and I've given a down payment. My intentions are clear. So the Holy Spirit is both a seal, a promise, and a down payment. Listen to me. This means that in order for God to not give us the inheritance He promised, He would have to take back the promise which He guaranteed He would fulfill. The promise He guaranteed with His own mark of authority and by making a down payment. In order for us to not receive our inheritance, God would have to say, I know that I stamped my signet ring upon you as a promise, and I know I put down a down payment as a guarantee to fulfill my promise, but I'm no longer going to honor my own word. Would a righteous God do such a thing? If we, as fallen creatures, know to keep our word when we sign the paper and it has our signature on it. And when we put a down payment down, how much more the perfectly holy and righteous God. It, listen, do, do you see the beauty of what Paul is saying here? God, God could just say, I gave you a promise. That's enough. But he says, no. I, I, I want you to have assurance so much that not only am I just giving you my word but I'm giving you a signature and a down payment to show you my intentions does this not give us great assurance 
The true Christian is guaranteed to receive his inheritance, by the way, which means we are guaranteed to remain saved. We we cannot lose our inheritance if we are true believers, which means we cannot lose our salvation. And this is a glorious truth. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, that is God's way of promising us that He who began a good work in us will complete it. Keeping us safe until we have received the fullness of our inheritance. We have a guarantee. Some people say, you you are so arrogant to believe that you can't lose your salvation. Listen, dear friends, my salvation is not based upon me keeping it. My salvation is based upon the stamp, the signature of God and the down payment he has provided. I better have confidence in that. Because if I don't, what am I saying? God, I don't believe your word. You sign that, but you might be a fraud. You, You gave a down payment, but you might just be willing to throw it away. So so when we believe that we can actually lose our salvation as a genuine believer, we're actually saying we don't believe God. Dear friends, this is like a king, again, sending you a signed letter. Saying that an inheritance is waiting for you and to prove to you that you have a real inheritance. Here's $20 million in advance. This is what God has done. Through the Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you aware of the, the Holy Spirit's presence in your life through, through seeing, observing the fruit of the Spirit? If so, you can be sure that you will remain saved, that you will receive the fullness of adoption, the fullness of redemption, the fullness of salvation, a resurrected body in a new heaven and earth, and all the fullness of our entire glorious, eternal, incorruptible, undefilable inheritance. You don't have to wonder. Do you see the Spirit's work in your life, dear Christian? If you do, you can have the greatest of assurance that you will receive your inheritance in full. Now, Here's the question. How can God make such a guarantee? Well, the sovereignty of God that Paul praises God for all throughout this chapter gives us assurance that God can, in fact, keep us. Many will say, you you can't guarantee that a person will remain saved. How can you guarantee that? How can you guarantee that, that a true Christian will not turn away from Christ? Dear friends, God can guarantee that a a true Christian will never turn away from Christ because the true Christian never made the decision to follow Christ in the first place. It was made for him. Did you notice what Paul did in these first 14 verses. Not one time is there an emphasis upon what we did in our salvation. But over and over again, it's about God. Listen to what Paul says. Even as He, God, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons according to the purpose of 
His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And let me ask you, what did we do in that? Not a thing. God can guarantee that the Christian will not lose salvation, and thus receive his inheritance because it was God who chose to save us from the foundation of the world. And as God chose us, he called us and he regenerated us. He justified us. He adopted us and he is sanctifying us and he will glorify us. Therefore, God can guarantee that he will keep us. As Spurgeon once said, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you but his hold of you. I love what MacArthur says. If you could lose your salvation, you would. As, as a matter of fact, when you, when you want to talk about arrogance, how arrogant do you have to be to think that you could lose your salvation, but you won't? What are those words we often sing? When I fear my faith will fail. What comes next? I cling to Christ harder? No. He will hold me fast. I think that one of the strongest statements of this was made by Christ in John chapter 10. What does our Lord say? And I give them eternal life. They don't earn it. I give it to them. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. How, how can you be sure, Christ? How can you be sure that we won't snatch ourselves out of your hand? Do you want to know how Christ is sure? Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. How dare we believe that that doesn't include the devil? How dare we believe that doesn't include our own will? He says, my Father is stronger than all. They were given to me by my Father, who, by the way, is greater than all. Therefore, no one can snatch them out of his hand hand. They are. God takes the goodness or righteousness of Christ and, and imputes it to us so that we are looked at by the Father as though we are good enough. God has done this for us. And because He loves us. He says, I, 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 not, not only have I saved you, but I want you to know it. I want you to have assurance of it. I don't want you to have doubt. So here is a portion of your inheritance. And here is my stamp saying I will fulfill my promises. 
This means, dear friends, that we get an eternal inheritance which can never be taken from us because once we belong to Christ, no one or nothing can take it out of our hands. Salvation. But without holiness. We want to live in our sins and be 100% sure that we are saved. But it doesn't work that way. Because we are grieving our seal. And again, this does not mean that he will forsake us. He won't forsake us. But why would you want to live without assurance? Why would you, as a believer, not want to have the greatest amount of assurance as possible? This only comes through righteous living, obeying God, believing, believing Him. In obeying him. And lastly, is this important? Is assurance critical to our walk and our service for Christ? Listen, if we don't have assurance, it's difficult for us to move past self-examination to service. The Christian who does not have assurance does nothing more than wrestle with his assurance. We need assurance. God has designed us in such a way that it is once we have this assurance that we can go out with confidence. Listen, you can't persuade others to to turn to Christ when when you don't even know if you've received eternal life. You you can't be be very convincing in that. As a matter of fact, you won't do it. We can't have joy and peace and other fruits when when we are not sure of our own future. You're not going to dance your way to death like Roland Taylor if you're not sure where you're going. We need assurance. Dear friends, if we want to be useful to God, useful in His kingdom, we must grow in in the the consciousness of our sealing. Let us praise God that we can have such a great assurance and, and, and let us live in such a way that instead of grieving the Spirit who seals us, instead of doing that, that we would grow in the sense of our experiential knowledge of our sealing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these truths are almost too great for any man to preach adequately. We thank you, Father, for the Spirit's work in our lives. We thank you that not only have you saved us, but you've given us a way to be confident in our salvation, in our inheritance. Father, you have been so good to us in in so many ways. May it move our hearts and our tongues and our minds to praise you like the Apostle Paul did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.